dedicated by Ida and David Schattenstein in honor of his parents, Tuvia and Leah Schattenstein, Larichis Yomim Vishanim Toivis, and all of the blessings, Begashmias, Uberuchnias, Kamyachad, abundant blessings materially and spiritually, Amen, and thank you very much. So the Frenchman and the Italian and the Jew come to heaven after they die, and they're judged. First, the Frenchman is judged, and after the verdict, an angel tells him, Come, let me bring you to your heavenly reward. He brings him into a beautiful banquet hall. The Frenchman is astounded seeing all of the delicacy and the, and the delicious foods and drinks, truly suitable for a French connoisseur. But he turns to the angel and he says, You know, I think somebody made a mistake. I have not lived a very moral life. It seems strange that this is my reward. And the angel says, you can enjoy this banquet hall and all of the delicacies as much as you want. But yes, you're right, there is a catch. Five o'clock every afternoon, they're going to bring into the hall a boiling, huge pot of soup. And you're going to be immersed into this pot of hot soup. And the Frenchman says, forget about it. I will not be able to deal with the pain. Okay? Gone. The Italian man comes to heaven. He's also rewarded, bring, brought into a beautiful banquet hall with beautiful delicacies and all types of Italian gourmet food. He too was astonished. I have lived a sinful life. You're sure they're not making a mistake? And the angel says, no. You can enjoy everything that's here, but there is a catch. Five o'clock in the afternoon, every day they bring in a big, hot bowl of soup, and you're put right into it. And the Italian says, no way. I will not be able to endure and tolerate this pain. Forget about it. I don't want the reward. And they lead him out, and then the Jew comes. And after his trial, he is brought into a beautiful hall with all of the foods a Jew can only dream of chopped liver and salty herring and sweet herring and kishka and kugel and sushi and beef lo mein and all types of rib steaks and chicken and of course the favorite food for all Jewish men, sofu, tofu and soybeans. And the Jew is astonished. He turns to the angel and says, you know, I never went to synagogue in my life. I never lived a Jewish life. I committed lots of sins. Are you sure they're not making a mistake? And the man says, they're not making a mistake. This is yours to enjoy. But there's a catch. 5 o'clock p.m. sharp, they're going to bring in a very hot pot of soup. and going to put you right into it like in a mikveh. And the Jew says, fine, no problem. Granted. Great. But the angel is astonished. 
and the Frenchman and the Italian are astonished. What happened? They could not deal with the pain, and he's ready to endure the pain. He turns to the Jew and he says, you know, the Frenchman dismissed the reward. The Italian dismissed the reward. How is it that you are ready to endure all of this? And the Jew says, he says, I'll tell you, I know Jewish functions all too well. The first thing is, five o'clock is never five o'clock, and the soup is always a little cold. Zog the Gemara. The Gemara says in Psachim, Dafnun Vav, Ahmed Aleph, Tractate Psachim 56a, open up your curriculums right under the video to source number one. And the Talmud relates the final moments of one of the founding fathers of the Jewish people, Yaakov Avinu. And the Gemara says, and I quote, Bikesh Yaakov, Lagalois, Labonov, Kate Sayomin, Venestalkam, Emenushchina. On his deathbed, Yaakov, Jacob, wanted to reveal to his children the time of the redemption when Mashiach is going to come, but the divine presence departed from him. Omar Shema Chas V'Shalom Yesh B'mitasi P'sul Ka'avram Sheyatsim Emenu Yishmael Uki Yitzchak Sheyatsim Emenu Esav Yaakov Avinu said perhaps there is a spiritual blemish in one of my children just like with my grandfather Avraham who had a son Yishmael and my father Yitzchak who had a son Esav Omru Loi Bonov Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad. Amru, Kishem Shein Belibcha Ela Echad, Kach Ein Belibeinu Ela Echad. Ba'oisosha, Pasach Yain Kavavinu, Va'omar, Baruch Shem Kavoid Malchusay Loilam Vod. His children, upon observing the fear which has gripped their dying father, Concerned and worried that the same fate which occurred to his grandfather Avram and his father Yitzchak. Each of them who had a child which left the moral and ethical monotheistic path of their father, Yishmael and Esau. This too happened to him. Perhaps one of his children also has a spiritual moral blemish. So his children turn to him and quote the Pasuk. In this week's parsha in Veschanan and Deuteronomy, Shema Yisrael, hear Israel. Israel refers here not only to the Jewish people, but also to their father, whose name was Yisrael. He had his name Yaakov, Jacob, and a name Yisrael, Israel. We got our name Yisrael. Am Yisrael, Bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, because Yaakov, his second name was Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, hear Israel. Hashem Aleikeinu. Hashem Echad. The Lord our God is one God. And what they were telling him according to the Gemara is, just as in your heart there is one God, also in our heart, Hashem Aleikeinu is Hashem Echad. In our heart there is only oneness. When Yaakov their father hears this message, he responds, Baruch Shem Kweit Malchus Vod, Blessed is the name and His glory and His royalty forever. Which is the reason, by the way, why after we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, we insert silently this phrase, this stanza of Baruch Shem Kvayt Malchus Elay Vod, which is not found in the Torah. 
In the Torah and Veschanan from Shema Yisrael, you go straight to Vahavtas Hashem But we interject Baruch Shem because these are the words our father Yaakov said before he passed away when his children testified to the fact that they were spiritually, morally, and ethically wholesome. And the obvious question one has when he learns or she learns this piece of the Talmud is, it seems that the first half of their response is superfluous and unnecessary. The children of Yaakov tell him, Just as in your heart there is only one, in our heart there is also only one. But why was it necessary for them to discuss Yaakov Avinu's heart? He was not part of the discussion. Nobody was questioning the sincerity or the authenticity of his heart. Yaakov Avinu's state of consciousness was not up for discussion. It was obvious and clear to all that Yaakov Avinu's heart contained oneness and was completely dedicated to one, to God, to one God. Yaakov Avinu was, worri- was worried when he saw that the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, departed from the room. That perhaps in his children there was a spiritual blemish. Perhaps one of his children was not living up to the legacy and to the mission statement and to the spiritual mandates of the Abrahamic tradition and family. He was worried about one of the children. All they needed to say was, Yaakov, Shema Yisrael, in our heart, in all of our hearts, there's only one. Yet they add what is going on in his heart. Kishem shein just as in your heart there is only one, so in our heart there is one. Why was it important to discuss and emphasize what is transpiring in your heart, in Yaakov Avinu's heart? But it's in this brief expression in which we have contained and encapsulated the secret of what is the essence of education and the ability, the unique ability of the Jewish people to give education such value and significance and to allow for the continuous transferring of messages and of stories and of episodes and of mitzvahs of a lifestyle from one generation to another generation for thousands of years to this very day. Let us explore for a few moments the continuation of the psukim following the Pasuk Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem if you go back to source, if you go to source number two in your curriculum, open up your source, Parshas Ve'eschanan, Perikvav, Chapter 6. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad, Vahaftas Hashem Alekecha, V'chal Avavcha, V'chal Navshecha, V'chal Maidecha, V'hoyu Advarim Ha'ela, Asher Anoichi Mitzavcha, Ayoim Al Levavecha, V'shinantam Levanecha, V'dibarta Bom, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I instruct you shall be on your heart. You should teach them to your children. And you should speak of them when you're sitting at home, when you're traveling on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And the question has been asked, it seems, that the psukim interrupt the discussion. We're talking about the person himself and his behavior, and yet we interrupt 
the instructions to the person concerning himself with an instruction for educating his child and then coming back to himself. The way the Pasuk is structured, it says, these words which I am instructing you should be on your heart. You should teach them to your children and you should speak of them when you're sitting in your home, when you're walking on the road, when you lie down, when you stand up. But why interrupt the commandment directed to the person himself with a commandment related to what he does with his child or with his children? It would seem more logical to first finish the instruction to the person and then go to the next theme, which is education. Pass it on to your child. It should have said, These words which I instruct you should be on your heart. And they shouldn't only be on your heart and your emotions, a Jew in my heart, I'm a Jew in my heart, but you should speak of them. You should engage verbally in Torah learning. Including in reading the Shema, when you're home, when you're on the road, when you're hiking, when you lie down, when you get up. And then add, and you shall teach them to your child, to your children. You should have them on your heart, you should speak of them, and in addition to that, you should also teach them to your children. You shouldn't only keep it to yourself, pass on the tradition to your child, to your children, to your family. Later, afterwards, the Pasuk adds about the mitzvah of tefillin, the mitzvah of mezuzah. You should tie it to your hands. It should be between your eyes. You should place it on your, on your doorposts. So you may want to add that, and then discuss sharing it with your child, with your children. But the Pasuk interrupts the discussion right smack in the middle. Why? A similar question we have in the second portion of Shema. The second section of Shema Vahayim Shemaya, which is in Parshas Akiv, next week's Parsha. Open up your curriculum to number four. Number four, and you'll see what is the terminology that's used there. The Pasig there discusses the mitzvah of tefillin. You should put tefillin on your arms and on your heads, between your eyes. And then the Pasig continues. And you shall teach them the words of Torah to your children to speak of them. When you're home, when you're on the road, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. Here again, the Pasuk is interrupting our responsibility to teach the message to our children with our responsibility towards ourselves. It says you should teach them to your children to speak of them when you're sitting in your home, when you're walking on the road, when you're lying down. When you're standing up, so we're giving an instruction to the person how he should behave. When he's sitting in his home, when he's walking, when he's traveling, he should be learning Torah. But in the middle, you should teach them to your children. The answer to this question will be understood by prefacing another question. Quoted in the work of Rabbi Moshe Al-Sheikh Teres Moshe on Parshas Vashana. A few words about this work. Rabbi Moshe Al-Sheikh was a 16th century sage and halachic authority who lived in Svas. Rabbi Moshe was born in 1507, approximately 1506 or 1507, in Turkey. Lived in Saloniki in Greece and then made Aliyah and settled in the holy city of Tzfas in the Holy Land. He was a student of the famed Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch HaMachaber, the Shulchan Aruch, the Jewish Code of Law, the author of Kasef Mishnah, 
the author of the commentary on the Tur Beis Yosef. He was also Reb Moshe Alshech, a teacher of Reb Chaim Vital in Talmud, in Halacha, in Jewish law, and in Gemara. Reb Chaim Vital would, of course, become the prime student of the greatest Kabbalist, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria the Arizal. So Rabbi Moshe Alshech was one of the group of Jewish giants who lived in Svas in the 16th century, including Rabbi Yosef Karo, Rabbi Chaim Vital, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria the Arizal, and many others. Rabbi Moshe Alshech passed away approximately in the year 1600 and is buried in the old cemetery of Tzvas. He would hold a drashi, he would hold a speech, a sermon on the portion of the week every Shabbos. And from these brilliant sermons which he edited, he composed his monumental work, Teiras Moshe, which is an ongoing, in-depth, unique commentary on the Tanakh. In this week's Parsha in Veschanan, Reb Moshe Alshech wonders why the Torah uses the word Vishinantam Levanecha, an unusual phrase rather than the word Vilimadatam Levanecha. Vilimadatam Levanecha, which we have in the second part of Shema, Vilimadatam Oysem Azbnechem, is all more common. Vilimadatam Levanecha, you shall teach them to your children. Vishinantam Levanecha, Vishinantam comes from the word Shonon, which means sharp is a strange term. Why is it used in the Shemaiah? All the commentators ask this question, including Rashi, who gives his own presentation. But the answer of the al is that the Torah is trying to indicate a unique message about education. There is v'limadatam levanecha, and there is v'shinantam levanecha. There is teaching your children v'limadatam, and then there is teaching them in the way of v'shinantam. Quoting the Pasuk which you have in your curriculum source number 3 from Tehillim, chapter 120. The, the arrows of a mighty man are sharp together with coals which are burning on the inside. Sharp arrows, explained the Alchich, penetrate deep into the enemy's heart. Sharp arrows penetrate sharply and deeply into the target which you want to reach through these arrows. There are two types of education, says the Alshech. And I'm going to read it inside. And if you have, you open up your curriculum under the video, source number 8. In your curriculum under the video you will see these penetrating words of the Alshech. Ye is a klal gadol biyadam. There's a great principle by Jews. Moshe says. Ki hikoneis divrei piyem belev shemeyem. Ki chitzei gibor shnunim. Lishmar velases becholeva bechol nefesh. There are two forms of education. One is, your words penetrate deeply into the heart and into the soul of the student. It affects his or her heart and his or her soul. Another form of education is, your words only go into the ears but they remain extremely irrelevant to the person listening to them. They're rejected. The words are dismissed. They don't penetrate 
the human being deeply. What is the difference? Why is it that one educator, one father, one mother, one teacher will have the ability to inspire his or her children? The message will really resonate within the child, within the student, and they will make it their own. Where another teacher, another mentor, another parent may pontificate, may lecture, may teach, may give sermons, but the words are ineffective. They have no real impact, certainly not an eternal impact, maybe a very temporary impact. Why? Zagda al the difference is this. Ki kol davar vidavar kafi moitsoi ashememenu yetse, ken yiei luchayu menuchasi asherisham yanuach. Every single thing, where it lands, depends on where it came from. The location it left from will determine the destination where it ends up in. So if the words which come out from the teacher of Torah or the person who's inspiring this crowd of their coming from the depth of his heart. They will travel from the depth of his heart, and where will they arrive to? They will arrive to the depth of the heart of the listener, of the student, of the child. Like sharp arrows of the Gibr Kichitze Gibr Shnunim, they will penetrate deeply into the target. Because they're coming from the depth of the heart of the communicator. As like an arrow. Take a look at an arrow. The more you pull back, the more you pull back the arrow deep into your heart, the further, the deeper the arrow will reach. But if the words coming out are not coming from the depth of his heart, it's only speaking mouth to mouth, the words are leaving my mouth, but they're not coming from my heart. So when they travel to the ears of their listeners, they will remain on the peripheral, they will remain on the surface, and fruits they will not produce. This, says the al will allow us to understand the sequence of the verses. Come back to source number two. Open up source number two and look at the psukim again. And we'll be able to see a new, deeper message. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Jews, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echot Ve'aftas Hashem Elokecha B'chol Levavcha B'chol Namshcha B'chol Meidacha V'ahoyu Advarim O'Ela Sh'anoichim Etzavcha Yom Al Levavcha the words I tell you should be on your heart, and then vishinantam levanecha, you shall share them with your children. Don't think that you will be able to educate children or students by simply giving them speeches, lectures, chastising them on what is the right way and what is the wrong way. What is it to be a mensch and what is it not to be a mensch? What is it to be a good Jew and what is it? Not to live up to your true Jewish identity and mission and destiny. 
That's not how it works. The first thing is the words have to be They have to be on your heart. They have to resonate within yourself. They have to become part of who you are as a human being, as an individual person and as a Jew. They have to penetrate your own psyche, your own soul. They have to be one with you. You have to truly be comfortable with them. You have to be truly passionate about them within your own identity. And then, Vishinantam Levanachal. Then when you'll teach them to your children, they'll be vishinantam, they will be sharp arrows which have been pulled back to the depth of your heart. And they will be able to penetrate sharply and deeply the hearts of your children as well. Now we'll be able to understand the words of Yaakov Avinu's children to their father moments before he passed from this world. He was worried perhaps... One of his children is morally blemished. So what do they tell him? Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad. As we saw in source number one, they told him, Kishem Shein Belibcha Ela Echad Kachem Belibeinu Ela Echad. Just as in your heart there is only one, in our heart there was also one. The first half of their presentation was not superfluous. It was not unnecessary. What they were saying is, they were explaining. You know why in our heart there is only one? Because our hearts reflect and mirror your heart. And in your heart there is only one. Children are the mirrors of their parents' hearts. They are not the mirrors of their parents' words. They do reflect their parents' conviction, hearts, resolve, and commitment. Yaakov Avinu, since in your heart there is only one, our hearts are only also saturated with one. So we ask the question, why do they tell Yaakov, your heart is only one? Why is that relevant? Who was questioning Yaakov Avinu's heart? The issue, uh, the issue being discussed is their heart. Our heart has one. But they're explaining to Yaakov Avinu why their hearts are saturated with oneness. Just as your heart contains only one, just as in your heart there's, also, there's only one, so in our heart there's only one. It's a kishem kach. It's an automatic response. Just as in your heart is one. The same identical thing is in our heart. Because our hearts are a mirror. They are a projection. They are a continuum of your heart. The Shvatim, the tribes, the sons are telling Yaakov Avinu. Because in your heart is Echad. Automatically, Ein Bilibeinu Ela Echad. In our heart is only one. We all know this from our own lives. Look at yourself and ask yourself which element and component of the life of your parents is most manifested in your own life. And all of us, I think, know quite clearly that what affects us most and what influences us most of the lives of our parents are not the long lectures or speeches they gave us, the penalties or rewards, the sermons or pontifications, but rather that which we saw our parents were ready to sacrifice for. That which we saw is embedded in our parents' hearts, not just in their mouth. 
that which we saw is truly something that our parents are committed to. They have real conviction in these areas. They have love towards these qualities. They're passionate about them in their own sincerity and in a very genuine way emotionally. This more than everything, sooner or later, starts being mirrored in our own convictions, in our own mind, in our own heart, in our own soul. Because the two hearts reflect each other. The two hearts mirror each other. Children don't always respond to the words of their parents, sometimes not even to the conscious statements of their parents. But the subconscious emotions, the internal emotions, the deep emotions, what is really going on in the hearts of parents, this children always pick up on. And if you want their heart to have echot, their heart to have harmony, wholesomeness, oneness, integration, focus, a core in life which is based on the oneness, make sure that in your heart there's echad, there's oneness. Now we perfectly understand the interruption in the Pesukim. Only then vishinantam levanach. Only hot soup Real hot soup will be able to be passed on to children. If the soup is cold, if five o'clock is not five o'clock and the soup is never hot, that we will have a very difficult time passing on to our children. So therefore the Torah has to interrupt the psukim and say, before the dibar tabam, and then you can give it over to your child. Automatically it will penetrate your child because it's in your heart. The same is true in the second section of Shema, in source number four. You want You want to be able to teach it to your child. Ladaber bum to speak of them. If it's one with you, automatically, it will touch and affect our children. Values are not always taught. They're often caught. Of course, parents, teachers, mentors have to spend a lot of time understanding their child, figuring out how to communicate best to their child, effectively, constructively. The stuff of education is made up of love, of conviction, of resolve. But what the Torah is intimating to us here, the core of education, is, in the words of Rabbeinu Tam, Dvarim hayoitzim and alev nechnosim alalev. That which leaves your heart goes into a heart. In the words of the Alshech, the location it leaves from is the location where it will arrive to. This, the Alshech says, is the meaning of another Pasuk in Mishle. If you'll open up your curriculum to source number 5. Shloim HaMelech says in Proverbs chapter 3, Chesed ve'emes al-yazvucha, kindness and truth shall not leave you, kashrei mal-gargirei secha, 
Kosvem aluach libecho mitzachin v'seichel toivene lekim v'yadam. Tie them to your throats. Transcribe them on the board of your heart and find grace and good intellect in the eyes of God and man. Zakta al sheikh means it's not enough for you to tie the values of kindness and truth al to your throat to speak of them. If you want the speeches should be successful, if you want your words to have an impact, if you want your words to make a difference, to penetrate, transcribe them on the board of your heart. Then these words will find grace and will be understood in the eyes of God and in the eyes of another human being. Somebody once said, every rabbi has only one sermon. But a good rabbi has much more than one sermon. The answer is the way he lives. You can have hundreds and thousands of sermons prepared, but the only real sermon... A parent, a teacher, a rabbi, an instructor, an educator, a leader has is the way you live. Not the words you speak, but the heart accompanying those words. I had a great uncle, great great uncle, his name was Rip Shmuel of Itten. He once said humorously, he says, Adarshan can came on the Chuvatan. A speaker, a magid, a preacher, an orator, will never repent. Why? An ordinary Jew, even somebody who's maybe apathetic and careless and passive and doesn't care too much, but once in a while, maybe once a year, twice a year, he or she will hear inspiring words. They'll open up a book with a meaningful message and this person will feel inspired and say to himself, Ah, Medav Tshuvatam, I have to come back to Hashem. But he says a good speaker, a darshan, he opens up a book and he sees a beautiful word. He hears a great, extraordinary insight. What's his first thought? Ah, this will be great for my next speech. So they add a piece to this anecdote, an additional item, that once somebody was chastising a speaker, a darshan, and he told this to him, he said, you know, speakers like yourself will never do tshuva. You're hopeless. There's no hope for you. He said, why? He starts explaining to him, other Jews, when they hear an insight, they take it to heart. But when you hear a good insight, all you think is, ah, I could use it for my next speech. And the speaker looks at him and says, you know, this is a great idea for my next speech. And this makes all the difference. Somebody once made the following simple but profound observation. Why is it that dinner time comes the mother turns to her children and says, it's 5 o'clock, it's 5.30, time for dinner, mommy made a nutritious, delicious dinner, everybody come eat, we have great salad, great fish, great chicken, great soup, great vegetables. And then your son, five years old, six years old, seven years old, four years old, turns to mommy and says, I see ice cream. I want to have ice cream. 
And mother says, sure you can have ice cream. After you eat dinner, you eat some healthy food, then you can have ice cream. He starts crying and he says, no, I want ice cream now. This is a good mother, a patient mother. She has serenity. She knows something about education. She nicely explains to her child. Mommy wants you to be healthy. Mommy wants you to eat. Your body needs good food. Eat dinner, and then you'll have ice cream. But all these explanations are not really working. The child begins demanding ice cream now, and of course he motivates and inspires all of the other children in the house who are now marching around ice cream now, crying, screaming, hollering, demonstrating, revolting, turning over a home. The mother thought that finally the day is winding down. She just finished cleaning. She just finished mopping. She just finished doing the laundry. She's ready to retire and go to sleep. But these children are making her life miserable. They want ice cream. They holler and they scream. And nothing she does can be effective until after an hour of screaming in the house, she caves and she says, take your ice cream. And the children with glee and passion and joy consume the ice cream. And once again they turn into cute, angelic little beings. They won the war. The next day... The same mother goes shopping and they're in a supermarket and she's with the same child and the child sees some nosh and the child says, Mommy, can I have that? And she takes a look and she says, I'm sorry, son, it's not kosher. I see there's a little pork in it. It's not kosher, we can't eat it. And the child maybe asks once more, are you sure? And she looks again and she says, I'm sorry, it's not kosher. And what does the child do? He says, okay. And he accepts it. Why doesn't he scream? Why doesn't he holler for an hour? Why doesn't he make the same scene he made in his house? Why doesn't he drive her mad and crazy? I want the nash. Give it to me regardless. Why? A child is a child. He drove her mad yesterday. Let him drive her mad again. The answer, friends, is very simple. Children are much smarter than most of us imagine. Children are far more intelligent than most people give them credit for being. The child understands very well one thing. He knows that even if he stands in the store for two hours and screams and demands the food which is not kosher, or the food which has the pork in it, the mother or the father will not give in. Why will they not give in? Because they have a principle that we do not eat non-kosher food or we do not eat pork. This is a principle that's unshakable. It's a law that will not be breached. So even if the child will scream all day and all night, they will not change their position and they will not give it to him. And because the child knows this, he or she even initially does not demand it. When it comes to the ice cream, the child knows very well that deep down his mother could not really care if he eats ice cream before dinner. Yes, she went to a class last week, she went to a, a workshop, and they spoke about nutrition and health, and she made a commitment that I have to lead a healthy home and stop feeding my children garbage, less sugar, and so on and so forth. And therefore she decided they have to eat dinner before ice cream. But deep down the child knows that his mother does not really care about this. How does he know? Because he's seen her eat ice cream before dinner. He's seen his ice cream, father eat ice cream before dinner. If mother does it, it means it's not that evil. 
So just because my mother went to a workshop and got inspired for three weeks to have a healthy yom, and then she's anyway going to go back to her old habits, I have to suffer, the child thinks to himself. So he screams for an hour, and you know what? He's right. The mother caves in and gives him the ice cream. You see, children initially know what is real by the parents and what is not real by the parents. We are the ones who define what our children will be able to accept and what they will not accept. Our inner standards and values, our inner convictions and sensitivities and sensibilities determine what our children will accept and what our children will not accept. Sometimes people ask, I would love to institute this in my home, but my children will never accept it. Your children will never accept it because they know that you're not really committed to it. They have a hard time with it because you deep down have a hard time with it. If it was real by you, if it was real by you, it will become real by them. It will be understood by them, accepted by them. But for that, it must be authentic by you. If it's just a fanatic craze you're having, if it's just coerced within yourself, if religion, if Torah, if Yiddishkeit, is not really accepted and embraced by you. And you're just composing it on your child. But you're not truly celebrating it. You're not truly comfortable with it. You're not passionate about it. It hasn't penetrated your humanness, your individuality. It's very difficult to pass it on to another person, to a student and to a child. This message is profoundly connected to this time of the year as well. This week of Eschanan is also the week of Tisha B'Av, the week known as the nine days in the Jewish calendar, when Jews collectively and individually mourn the destruction of Jerusalem and the Beis Hamikdash, the first temple, the second temple, both burnt on the same day in the calendar, on the ninth of Av, the first by the Babylonians and the second by the Romans. The Gemara tells us in Tractate Shabbos that there is an obligation on every Jew in the right time to build the Beis HaMikdash. One exception. Children who are studying Torah and the Yeshiva, you do not disrupt their learning even to have them assist in the building of the Beis HaMikdash. Whether the first, the second, or the third when Mashiach comes speedily in our days. But now there's an interesting phenomenon. If you'll open up your curriculum to the final, to number seven, you'll see the Rambam Maimonides brings this halacha from a Sechta Shabbos Kofites in two places. The first time is Rambam Hilchis Talmud Torah Pedic Beis, the second chapter of the laws of studying Torah. Says the Rambam, Ein mevatlin You don't interrupt children from learning, even for the t- construction of the Beis Hamikdash of the sanctuary, the temple in Jerusalem. The Rambam brings the same law a second time. He repeats it in Hilchis Beis Abchir in the laws of the Beis Hamikdash, the first chapter. Zok the Rambam in number seven of your curriculums. All of the Jewish people are obligated to build and to help the construction of the Beis Hamikdash themselves with their bodies and with their money. Men and women just as the Mikdash, the tabernacle in the desert. Men and women all helped it make it happen. 
but you do not disrupt Jewish children, who are in the home of their Rebbe, Rebbe, learning Torah, you do not disrupt them to come and help building the base of Mikdash. Building the base of Mikdash. The Rambam is very meticulous, extremely precise. Why does he repeat this law twice? The first time I understand in the Hilchus Talmud Torah, the laws of studying Torah, where he discusses at length the idea of education and the system in which we have to teach Jewish children and the obligations of a Jewish teacher and the Jewish educational system and how you teach and what you teach. There he tells you, and I want you to know, that Jewish education is so significant and so important that even if the Beis HaMikdash needs to get built, don't use my children. Let them continue learning. Why does he repeat it again a second time after he said it already in Hilchus Talmud Why does the Raman repeat it a second time in Hilchus Beis Abchir in the laws of the Beis HaMikdash? And there is a beautiful insight and explanation that was once presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said what the Rambam is teaching us here is that the law that children should not be interrupted from their learning to build the Beis HaMikdash is not just a din in Hilchis Talmud it's also a din in Hilchis Beis HaBchira. Which means it's not just a law in the issue of Talmud and learning Torah. It's also a law in the Beis HaMikdash. At first glance I would think the law that children should not be used to build the Beis HaMikdash of their learning is part of Hilchis Talmud In other words, learning Torah is so powerful. It reigns supreme, more significant than anything else, especially when you're dealing with children who are learning Torah, that even if something so monumental as the Beis HaMikdash is being constructed, they can't be used. Comes the Rambam and says, no, not only is it a law in Talmud Torah, it's also a law in Beis HaBchira. In the laws of the Beis HaMikdash, it, which includes the laws to build the Beis HaMikdash, which includes the laws that all Jews have to assist in building the Beis HaMikdash, part of those laws also dictate that children should not help in the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, it's not just fulfilling the obligation of Talmud Torah at the expense of Beis HaMikdash, but rather the Beis HaMikdash itself would also tell us, don't use children to build the Beis HaMikdash. By fulfilling this mandate not to take away children from yeshiva, to go build the Beis HaMikdash, you're not just fulfilling an obligation of Talmud Torah. It's part of fulfilling the obligation of Beis HaMikdash too. The halachas of Beis HaMikdash, including to build the Beis HaMikdash, also instruct us, so to speak, not to use children for the Beis HaMikdash. Why is that? How do we explain that? The Beis HaMikdash is losing out of it. The Beis HaMikdash is being... Surrendered is being compromised because of Talmud Torah. So the Rambam says, no, it's part of Ilchis Beisabchira. And the reason is because there are two sanctuaries that are being built simultaneously. There is the Beisamikdash we build through stone and mortar. There is the physical structure of the Bayis Lashem of God's home. There is the Beisamikdash we build through words, thoughts, feelings, and our inner identity. The two homes must live together and simultaneously. The physical structure of the Beis HaMikdash, devoid of an inner Beis HaMikdash constructed in one's heart, constructed in one's words, constructed in one's deeds, is a body missing a soul. And of course the verbal Beis HaMikdash, without the physical Beis HaMikdash, is missing the physical structure of the Beis HaMikdash. 
And thus the Beis HaMikdash has two elements. When children learn Torah, they're also building a Beis HaMikdash. They're not building a physical Beis HaMikdash. But they're building the Beis HaMikdash in Jewish hearts and Jewish souls. They are creating the spiritual, moral, ethical, historical foundation of the Jewish future. They are molding the Jewish tomorrow. So by, take, by not taking away children from learning for the building of the Beis HaMikdash, it's not that you're interrupting the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash itself would tell you don't take them away because by their learning they're also building a Beis HaMikdash. They're guaranteeing that the spiritual Beis HaMikdash, that there is God's presence in the Jewish world, in Jewish hearts, in Jewish souls, in Jewish homes, in Jewish spirits. Because here are children who are being educated, inspired emotionally and intellectually with the spirit, with the truth, with the consciousness and with the lifestyle of Torah and mitzvahs. Finally, a word and insight by Rebel Khanan Vasserman. Rebel Khanan Vasserman, the Rosh Hashiva of Ayaltaira and Baranovich, who was murdered during the Holocaust, shot, once gave the following insight. Fishinantam Levanecha, we learned in Shema, you shall teach your children. Zakhtrashi, source number six. Vishinantam Levanecha, Zakhtrashi, Levanecha, Elu Hatalmidim. These are your students, Matsinu Bechalmakim, Shatalmidim, Kriyim Bonim. We see everywhere in the Tanakh that students are called children. So when it says Vishinantam Levanecha, you shall teach your children. It doesn't only mean biological children. Actually, says, who does it actually mean? It means Elu Atalmidim. It means your students. So Rabbi Khanan asked, why doesn't the Pasuk say that explicitly? You shall teach these words to your students. Why does the Pasuk have to say Vishinantam Levanech? And Rashi, quoting Sifri, the Medrash, says, Who are Levanecha Elu Atalmidim? The Pasuk could have been straight. The Pasuk could have said, Vishinantam Levanech. And Rebbe Khanan answered, A gewaldic word, open your hearts. He said, The Pasuk is trying to tell you, Vishinantam Levanech Elu Atalmidim. If you want to be successful in communicating a message to your students, you must treat your students as though they were your own children. So Vishinantam Levanecha means teach them to your children. Who are your children? They mean your stu- it means your students. But if the Pasuk would have said Vishinantam Levanecha, teach your students, the main point would have been missing. The Pasuk says Vishinantam Levanecha, you should teach your children. And the Medrash says, who are these children? We're not referring to biological children. For this, there are other commandments in the Torah. We're referring to students. So why does the Pasuk call them children? Because the Pasuk is saying the only way you'll be able to be successful with students is if they are your children emotionally. Only if you love your people. Only if you love your students. If you love your Talmidim. Only if you care for them, if you demonstrate concern and affection to them, will your message be able to really penetrate their souls, resonate in their minds, and permeate their hearts. Vishinantam levanecha, you're teaching your children. Who are these children? Your students. Because if they're only students and they're not children, if you're distant from them, then ultimately the vishinantam will be unsuccessful. 
This is how Judaism, Yiddishkeit, has for 4,000 years stayed young, while other civilizations grew old and disappeared. And the question is, after 2,000 years in exile, and after thousands of years of existence, why hasn't the Jewish nation grown old and not disappeared? The answer is we survived and thrived because we never lost our love for children. We never lost our love for youth, for the young. We never lost our radical and magical infatuation with kinderlach, with children. And we never forgot our obligation to build homes, schools, communities, to pass on our values and blessings across the generations. A civilization, a culture, a people, which never becomes tired of respecting and loving its children, always remains a child. Those who never grow tired of attending to the young, remain young. This has guaranteed that the Beis Hamikdash of Judaism remains intact. Because as long as there are Tinoikas of Beis Rabban studying and internalizing Torah, the Beis Hamikdash is being built, not the physical one, but the spiritual one. So when Mashiach comes, and Eliyahu Anavi comes, and they say, Chevre, let's go build the Beis Hamikdash. As the Rambam himself says at the end of Hilchus Malachim, Mashiach will build the Beis Hamikdash. There are other opinions. Rashi, Taisvis, and Masech, the Sukkah is going to come down from heaven. But that's beyond today's, this, tonight's discussion. Come build the Beis HaMikdash. And everybody is obviously ecstatic, excited. Comes the Halacha and says, besides Tanaikos HaBeis Rabban. Why? They have already been building it. They're in the midst of building it. They're continuing to build it. Have a wonderful night.